his thing and Abel bought his thing and listen every way leads up to the top of the mountain but the reality is is that the Bible teaches that God doesn't accept every action or offering of humanity as something that's acceptable in his eyes God has prerogative in what's acceptable now in a radically selfish and self-centered culture this just enrages us In America, we're pretty used to having what we want. In fact, one fast food company's motto used to be, have it your way. And we're not accustomed to getting pushback when we insist on things being done how we like it. But God, as Pastor Daniel will be sharing today, isn't like that. He's not trying to please us. In fact, he is the one doing the requiring and demanding. And you'll hear about the consequences of ignoring those demands today. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 4 as he begins his message, Cain and Abel. Let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. As we continue our study here through the book of Genesis in our series that we're calling Origins, because the book of Genesis really is the origin And explains the origin of everything, except for God, because it's impossible to explain the origin of someone who has no beginning. Now, as we move into Genesis chapter 4, we're going to be focusing on Cain and Abel. And if you know the Bible at all, you realize that we know we've just seen Adam and Eve, and now we're going to see Cain and Abel. And oftentimes we have a tendency to think about these stories kind of the way we think about We learned them in Sunday school, which means that you hear about Adam and Eve, and then you hear about Cain and Abel, and then at some point you hear about David and Goliath, and you hear about Joseph and Mary, and everybody seems to be pretty unrelated. Like, they're just these little stories. But what's interesting, and one of the blessings that we have of studying the scriptures now in the 21st century is that we have gone through a day and age and a time period that we're still kind of in the midst of that has been influenced by the thinking of the Enlightenment where things like literary criticism and, you know, all these different types of uh, scientific approaches to the study of scripture have really given us a lot of information that we've really never thought about. And one of the things that we have realized is that when they put the book of Genesis together, or even the first five books, it's commonly said that it was written by Moses. If you remember at the very beginning, I said that Moses probably wrote a lot of it, but it was compiled by someone else and most likely at a later date, specifically because in the book of Deuteronomy, it tells us about Moses dying and that Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. And if Moses actually wrote that he was the most humble man that ever lived, he might have a problem. And so, although Moses penned a good portion of it, we know that it was compiled sometime later and with a purpose in mind. And oftentimes, we look at these pericopes or little happenings within the text, and we don't see them as related to what came before and after. 
And so the story of Cain and Abel isn't only about these two brothers, but we're also starting to see a progression in what's going on. And to put this in its bigger context, we have God creating everything, saying that it's good. And really, if we focus in on God creating man, Adam and Eve, male and female, and then Adam and Eve sin in the Garden of Eden, and they realize their shame, they're hiding from God, and then they're expelled from the Garden. Now, in Genesis chapter 4, we're going to see Cain and Abel, and if you know the story and we're going to talk about it, we're going to find that Cain is going to kill his brother Abel. So it went from sin and shame, and now we're going to have murder. There's going to be a genealogy in Genesis 5. By the time we get to Genesis 6, we have something really weird going on with the sons of God and the daughters of men having giants as offspring. We'll talk about that. And this is what happens right before God decides he's going to destroy the earth with a flood. So Cain and Abel is a progression here. Things are starting to spiral. And that's really what this story does here. We see how sin is progressive. That Adam and Eve realized that they were naked. They tried to cover themselves. But now we're going to see sin having more of a blossom in their lives. And it's going to play out in sibling rivalry and murder. And this is all going to culminate, of course, with God flooding the earth, ultimately. And I think, you know, I don't want to be a downer, but the reality is, is that sin is progressive, isn't it? Nobody who becomes an alcoholic on the first day they take a drink say, I'm going to become a raging alcoholic. Nobody who ends up murdering somebody just wakes up one day and says, I'm going to start killing people. It all begins with small things. My pastor, John Henry Corcoran, used to say, it's the soft choices that get you in the end. Because things are progressive that way. And that's exactly one of the things we're seeing here in this. Now, look at what happens. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. So this is pretty simple. We have Adam and Eve. We've already seen them. They've been exiled from the garden. And it says that Adam knew Eve, his wife. Now that word knew in the Bible, when we think about someone who knows somebody, we just think we understand them. We know who they are. But in this context, it means that they knew each other intimately. They enjoyed the blessings of being husband and wife. So Adam and Eve enjoyed their marital bed. And she first Eve conceived, and she bears a son named Cain. Says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And Cain literally means acquire. So Cain, verse 2, she bore again, this time his brother, Abel. And Abel literally means breath or nothing. And Really, that name Abel is the word that you get over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is often translated as vanity. So you have Cain and Abel. Now, in verse 2, we get this little phrase, and it says, Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So we have these two guys, Cain the older brother, Abel the younger brother, and Abel was a shepherd. He kept livestock. And Cain, of course, was a farmer. He worked the ground. And 
What's interesting about this is that there's no moral judgment placed on what these guys do, but we see that time has elapsed and they had jobs that they did. Now, in verse 3, look at what happens. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. What? Okay. So Cain is a farmer. Abel keeps the sheep. That's their jobs. And they came to bring a sacrifice to God. They're like, we want to offer a sacrifice to God. And so Cain brings his, the fruit of his vocation. And then Abel brings the fruit of his vocation. And it says that the Lord respected Abel's offering, but not Cain's. Now, if you've ever read the Bible, you read a Bible commentary before, people make a big deal about this, about why this is the case. But the reality of what this text tells us by not telling us a lot is that the problem is not necessarily with Cain or with Abel. The problem is with God. God is the, the one that you're like, huh? Because they're both bringing the fruit of their vocation. That'd be like if you're a banker and you want to give God an offering, you give him some banking products. And if you're a teacher, you give him, you know, they're giving them what comes naturally. But the problem is on God's side of the wall. Now you might say to yourself, what are you talking about? The problem's on God's side of the wall. Let me explain something to you. If God is God, if God is God, then God chooses what is an acceptable sacrifice to him. God has the prerogative in this. And I think this is an important point because we live in a society where everybody feels that whatever they want God to be and whatever they think God wants is acceptable to God. Isn't that what people think? But the reality is, is God chooses what's acceptable to him. God says, this is what I desire. This is what I desire. And I think that's an important thing because it'd be so easy to say, well, Cain brought his thing and Abel brought his thing. And listen, every way leads up to the top of the mountain. But the reality is, is that the Bible teaches that God doesn't accept every action or offering of humanity as something that's acceptable in his eyes. God has prerogative in what's acceptable. Now, in a radically selfish and self-centered culture, this just enrages us. Because we want to say, God, I just want to do yoga. You should accept that. God, I don't want to be generous. I just want to save all my money and buy a summer home. God, I just want to do whatever I want to do. God accepts me for who I am. And the answer to that is no. See, God chooses what's acceptable to him. This is why belief in God is so challenging in the West today. Because God has very specific parameters for what he wants. Cain and Abel both bring what makes sense to them. God has another idea. Now, look at what happens. 
Because Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's wasn't, notice at the end of verse 5, it says, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Look at verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. See, we get a sneak peek into why Cain's offering was not accepted of the Lord. Because notice, Cain is angry. It's not the action of what he did may have been right, but his heart was wrong. His heart was so wrong that first he gets mad at God and then he goes and kills his brother. Because in God's economy, your heart is what God cares about. And oftentimes, people's actions are wrong, but their heart is right. And oftentimes, people's actions may be right, but their heart is wrong. Jesus said, look, men look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And that's why we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. That's why as Christians, we're called not to look at what people do, but say, God, maybe they're doing everything wrong, but their heart is really in the right place. They're just messing up. The scariest part of being a Christian is the reality that God sees us all naked and open. God sees us in our hearts. People see our actions. God sees what's inside our hearts. And you know what's amazing? You can't fool God. And neither can I. We've all tried. But we can't fool God. Cain and Abel both brought sacrifices of their vocation. But the reality is, is that Cain's heart was not in the right place. What the Lord says to Cain is fascinating. He says to him, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? You know, when I was looking back over my notes today, this first Verse 6 kind of arrested me a little bit. And I just felt that some of us need to take verse 6 to heart. I think God's asking some of us right now, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? What was the last time you let God ask you a question like that? Oftentimes, just like when Adam and Eve were hiding in the trees from the Lord, where are you? I love that God leads with a question, wanting to draw Cain out, wanting to engage him. You know, I have a seven-year-old, my son Obadiah, and if you have a kindergarten or first grader, they love asking questions. And if you read the child development books, that's just little kids' way of engaging. Why? Why? But why? That's awesome. And you have to really be thinking when you're talking to your seven-year-old. We had a long discussion about Jesus and Satan. But why? But what about this? And I was kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm getting confused now, Obear, you know? But the beauty is, is it's God's engaging Cain. Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? I think for some of us in here, God's asking you the same question. Why are we grumpy? Why are we angry? We used to be joyful, and now we're grumpy. Why? What's going on? Look what he says in verse 7. If you do well... Will you not be accepted? He's like, look, if you're doing it right, I am going to be proud of this. And if you do not do well, it says in verse 7, 
Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now, it's fascinating. God said the same thing to Eve about her husband. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Now God says to Cain, listen, sin's desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. Brothers, sisters, listen. Sin is like a beloved person who's just pursuing you. And that's true for all of us. Sin is in hot pursuit of your life and my life. And that never ends. Sin is constantly at the door pursuing our hearts. And we just have to come to a realization, a settled realization, that that's just the way it is. That is what living life this side of eternity is like. Now, thank God, we rule over that because of the finished work of Jesus, because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that keeps us from doing what we want to do naturally in rebellion against God. See, sin is relentless in its pursuit for you. If it can't get you through one door, it's going to try another door and another door. It's like when Job, remember the book of Job in the very first few chapters where God is looking at Job. He's like, look at my servant Job. And Satan's like, oh yeah, well, he's just a mercenary. Right? But God says, have you considered him? Satan says, yeah, I strategized against him. And that word in the Hebrew is a military strategy. What that means is that in each one of our lives, Satan has studied us. He knows our strengths and our weaknesses. He has plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, plan B1. If he can kind of get in, he's like, oh, I'm going to tweak my plan. Now, I'm not scared of Satan. I'm scared of myself. Satan can only... Be a cheerleader for me to do what I want to do naturally in rebellion against God. But when I realize, like God tells Cain, that sin is waiting at the door, waiting to pounce. It's pursuing me with desire, like a woman for her husband. But notice, he doesn't say, and you're a dead duck. He says, but you should rule over it. Although the pursuit of sin is a reality, we have the victory. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So the victory over sin was blood-bought at Calvary's cross for us by Jesus. And the power to live that out is placed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But for so many of us, we like sin, don't we? We like it. We like its pursuit. We like its games. The Puritan John Owen, in his great book, The Mortification of Sin, if you ever hear about this book, you always hear hear about one line where John Owen said this, you're either killing sin or sin is killing you. And brothers and sisters, That's the gospel truth. You're either killing it or it's killing you. And that's why Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck that baby out. That's the new Daniel translation of that verse. He didn't say that baby. Now listen, 
Jesus isn't the God of amputation. He doesn't want us walking around with eye patches. He's saying, deal ruthlessly with it. Don't play with it. It's going to kill you if you play with it. Fascinating. It's like God's given Cain the chance here. But look at what happens. Verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. Wow. Cain would not listen to the voice of the Lord. He wouldn't. He spoke to his brother. It's like Cain invited Abel out into the wilderness. That's what he did. He set his brother up. And they got out there in the middle of nowhere. He rose up against him. And he killed him. And he killed him. Wow. Now, from here, things start to spiral pretty seriously. Look what happens in verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Wow. Notice God leads with a question again. Again, where is Abel your brother? And Cain thinks that he's going to fake God out. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? You know what the answer to that question is? The answer is yes. You are your brother's keeper. You know, and I pray that as a church, and not only Crossroads, but the greater body of Christ, that we start to develop God's heart for the family of God. Because we live in a very individualistic culture. Hyper-individualism. And there's so many of us right now who you read that and you just yawn and want to go to the next verse, but you're in a situation right now where God is pressing on your heart to help a brother or a sister, and you're saying, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know what's going on. God's love is shown by our love for others. I mean, listen to Matthew chapter 25. When Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats, when he put the goats on his left hand, he says, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Every time we come alongside someone in need, we do it as we're doing it to Jesus. Every time we help someone, it's as if we're helping Jesus. That's the way he looks at it. Jesus is real. It's kind of scary to think that the impulses that drove Cain to kill his flesh and blood, his brother, reside in all of us, no matter how peaceful and gentle we are. As Pastor Daniel shared today, it all began with Adam and Eve. They passed all of that junk down to us. 
But it's also a relief to know that we don't have to remain imprisoned by those passions and desires. God, through Jesus, made a way for us to be free of them. Hey, everybody. Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. We would love to connect with you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue with the story of Cain's murder of his brother. You'll get to hear what God had to say to Cain, as well as hearing Cain's attitude toward what he had done and what he thought of God trying to judge him. You'll see that Cain's attitude isn't much different than that of people today. And you'll learn of the contrast between Cain's posture and the mercy that God shows him. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called Origins next time. Until then, may God bless.